Welcome everyone to this edition of Kiwi Talks. I'm speaking to a great person who is multi-talented. She's an actress, blogger, comedian, entrepreneur, basically a jack of all trades and a master of many, Kimberly Crossman. <laughs> That's very, very kind of you. Thank you. What a lovely welcome. I thought you were going to say jack of all trades, master of none. I was like, this is true. I am, <laughs> I am very much a queen of an oversell under deliver. So... <laughs> Well, I think in this day and age, it's better to be good at multiple things than just a master of one, because yeah. as, as you've seen with COVID, like think of a pilot, you know, they're yeah. basically overnight, their job becomes obsolete. So you got to learn how to maintain and navigate mm -hmm. different industries. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. True. So how's everything going for you? Because I know you were between LA and Auckland. So now mm -hmm. are you planning to stay in Auckland until COVID's over? Uh, yeah, so I, I'm pretty nomadic anyway. Usually I would kind of split my time 50-50 between LA and New Zealand during the year. Um, just because of kind of where I am in my career, I, I just go where the work is. <laughs> I don't Fair have enough. that like financial stability or security to make bold bold statements like, this is where I will be based, um, uh, which I think would be the ultimate luxury kind of like Carl Urban and stuff like that uh, you know New Zealand based until they get those big big jobs and then can travel for that I just um I'm not quite there yet so I still bounce around a lot um I came back to New Zealand for a job actually um during COVID this was at the end of May and then um very grateful touch wood uh that I've continued to work here. So I haven't yet gone back to the States, but I possibly have to go back in a couple of weeks um, to work there and then would, would come back and re-quarantine. I mean, definitely my heart is and always has been in New Zealand just because of kind of what I wanted to do. And when I first left to go to the States about seven years ago, I think the film and television industry in New Zealand was very different as well. I'd kind of done the few shows that were available for me already. So it was, it kind of made sense to go and, and work in the States for a bit. So yeah, I don't like to make big causes. This is where I will be based. Cause I kind of like to have a bit of an open mind that I can go anywhere at any point, but yeah. So was it easy for you to set up once you got to LA? Cause I know when I spoke to Joel Tobik, you know, his agent was pretty much like, look, you're not the big dick here. So, you know, he pretty much <laughs> was like, get him a check quite. Yeah. Stay humble. I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, ego is a big thing for me as well. I, I definitely landed in LA and thought that people would be like, oh, here she is. Like, <laughs> Here are all the jobs. So it was a very humbling, you know, and that's because I started working when I was 15 on Shelton Street and kind of just thought that work beget work and, you know, fell into that narrative of once you get the one thing, then you're off, which is how it often seems from an out, you know, zoomed out perspective to an audience. But um. No, I, I, it definitely wasn't easy. It continues to not be easy. LA is a, I try not to shit on LA too much because I, I mean, there's plenty of bad press about LA and people are assholes and it's a, it is a difficult city and it is, but I think just what I'm doing and pursuing is, is difficult. Um, in the, in the sense of it's, you know, a business of rejection. And if you're going out on more auditions and being rejected more, I think that's sometimes what, why LA can be so tough. Um, but yeah, I think America is going through a really interesting time at the moment and has been for the last kind of four years. And hopefully with a, a change in presidency, we'll, we'll see a change in kind of the content that people are making and a little bit more creative freedom and 
Yeah. So I, it, it definitely has been a, a tough journey, but at the end of the day, I chose it. You know, I can't, I can't, I have to take some responsibility that I did choose this career and choose this lifestyle. So can't, can't play too many violins for myself. <laughs> yeah. But I still, I still imagine that it would be hard psychologically sometimes with dealing with the rejection. Like how do you stay positive? Like if you go for so many roles and then it's just rejection after rejection after rejection, do you have to remind yourself of the stuff that you have gotten and how far you've come? Yeah, I would say like, usually I used to be really good at it. Um, I think just being a little bit younger and feeling a little bit more hopeful and things. And then I think a little bit with age and a, a bit of exhaustion, those um, the amount of kind of rejections or I kind of, less about the rejections for an audition because you maybe have only put in a little bit of time into it, like a few days of your life. It's more like these big jobs that you guys actually shoot the first episode. You know, you've been working on something for months and then that gets, doesn't get to go ahead. So it's more like those heartbreaks, I would say, rather than the rejections that probably take a bit more of a toll on me. Or if you've been in the running for something for months and months and months and, you know, that has been your world and your universe and then you don't get it at the end of the day, you know, it's between you and one other and it goes to someone else and it's like, well, you've put in four months of your life to get to that point and then it's a no. Like I would say the heartbreaks are probably more take a toll on me. And I used to also be quite good at, at that. I would do something we learned in my family of like shower and start again where you like can have a cry, have a shower and then kind of go on to the next Um but yeah, I think uh, definitely last year I, I had a massive burnout and took many showers and couldn't quite get to the onto the next space mentally, um, which was which was really difficult. And I carried a lot of shame around that because I had always um, hung my hat on someone who was really resilient and positive and persistent. And yeah, I really struggled myself carrying my own shame and and guilt and sorrow around the fact that I, I didn't have the tools to pick myself up this time and kind of then had to sort of seek out some professional help to, to get me there. And I think it's just probably part of my personality. I'm a very intense person. I see, I haven't even let you talk in the last five minutes. So I, am very, right. like, I don't need to talk. I don't need to talk. That's fine. <laughs> very, like very intense and, and take myself very seriously. Whilst I can still laugh at myself, I take what I do very seriously and, and, and yeah, and, and, and pursuing a career where I have such limited control on outcomes and outcomes being results, outcomes being jobs, outcomes being employment, outcomes being financial security. Um, when you have such little control over that, it can mess with you a little bit. And yeah, last year I just got to a point where I kind of broke down and, and couldn't pick myself up. So. Yeah, because yeah, I was I was quite surprised when I saw that. I mean, obviously, I don't know you from a bar of soap, but you've always struck me as a very, very happy person, a free spirit in some senses. And there's yeah. certain people that I know that, like, if I have a bad day and I just hang out with them, just being in their presence, mm -hmm. I feel better. And you strike me as that type of personality. So um, I was quite surprised when I heard about this. But, like, your Pretty Depressed podcast, I suppose that came from that. Yeah. And I just like kind of on that note, what I'm kind of learning about my depression too, because it did feel like, uh, it, <laughs> it went against what I considered my personality to be. But I think what I'm learning is like two things can be true at the very same time. I can, like, you can live in duality. I can be a very happy, positive person, but that doesn't mean that sometimes things in life do feel overwhelming and I, you know, can 
have seasons of depression and my depression doesn't look like wallowing in a corner or or for some people and I feel very sorry for them have that I can't get out of bed depression mine tends to show up as more overworking driving my like punishing myself with like not sleeping not eating right it just but kind of becomes more self-harming in a way um in terms of behavior so yeah, I think, I think two things can be true. I can be a very happy, positive person, but have tendencies to be really hard on myself to a point that it's unhealthy. So that's kind of how mine shows up a little bit, which, which is good to kind of educate people on. Cause I think we're so fixated on depression looking like one thing when it can, it does actually have such a, a spectrum of ways that it shows up for people. So, um, but yeah, the podcast was a, a project <laughs> because I am an overachiever and a very hard worker. I knew I wouldn't deal with my depression or my anxiety unless I turned it into a project. So, um, cause I work well under kind of deadlines and things. So I set my own self care up as a project to ensure that I would actually give it time because myself and I know like many people in my circle are really bad at taking care of themselves, but really great at taking care of other people. And it, like that's always the priority for me. I would forego anything I needed to do for myself if you needed me to do something. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a cool thing that I think you're doing. I mean, I haven't managed to listen to all of them. One in particular I did really like was the one you did with Chloe. Oh, 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 oh. I love that woman so much. I have the biggest like crush. I think she's so amazing. Isn't she? fantastic she she is uh definitely one of a kind and like i i really i i admire her in a lot of ways because to be a young person in politics seems really hard i mean i know early on when she got interviewed by duncan garner and mike hosking and stuff and they were brutal with her you know oh yeah yeah but uh, with anyone who's a young woman (laughs) yeah that's true that's true I mean, I've seen your interviews. Okay, that brutal on the prime ministers. They're just brutal. It's it's their arena that you're entering, so you have to know that going in. Yeah, you've got out pretty unscathed though when you've had um, chats with like Mike Hosking and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think still that nervousness is there. I I think for me, one of the reasons I love Chloe so much is she's so articulate and can go toe to toe. Like she backs herself because she has that. Um, I mean, she's so intelligent. And I think I often, if I'm uncomfortable, I tend to giggle or shy away or I don't stand my ground or stand up for myself. And I love that she does that. And that's one of the reasons that I admire her is that she's, you know, unapologetically kind of herself and and stands by what she believes in. And yeah, I just think anytime I've felt uncomfortable, I tend to like want to diffuse any situation rather than kind of throw stuff on the fire and ignite it because I get uncomfortable arguing with people. So I think that's why I'm such a fan of hers is because I think she, she handles herself with such grace and is so articulate. And yeah, even with those people who, who can, you know, they want you to stuff up. It makes good radio. They want you to fumble, you know? Yeah. Like the, uh, what is it? Like gotcha questions at journalists. Yeah. 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 So, but when you've, um, when you've done interviews with say a lot of these Hollywood people, has it all been roses when you, I mean, I know because obviously you work on the project. I want to ask you about that soon, but obviously you talk to these celebrities. It's very short though, how much time you get with them, isn't it? Oh yeah. We're only given like four minutes. (laughs) It's not very long at all. Isn't Um, that nerve wracking though? Because you're like, Oh my gosh, what do I ask? I've only got four minutes. Yeah, it is hard because usually there's a lot of restrictions around what you can ask and it usually has to be film based, but yet no audience wants to hear about the movie. They want to hear about 
something interesting and new from this person who's already got a plethora of interviews out there, like what would make this special? Um, It's nerve wracking, but in a good way. I think I like the challenge. I like that it's inconsistent. I love winning people over in a room because usually New Zealand is one of the last people to get an interview slot. So sometimes these people have been sitting there for six or seven hours doing four minute interviews over and over. Mm. So I'm pretty over it when fair fair enough. Um, So I think being able to go into a room that's really lethargic and answer the same questions all day and like inject some energy is, is a real joy. Um, but sometimes it doesn't go great or sometimes it is a bit boring. And then that's really disappointing after you have had such good ones. It's hard not to compare. Um, but for the most part, everyone's pretty cool. Yeah. And you've met so many celebrities at this point. Are you kind of just used to it now? You don't get like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Sort of, sort of things. Um, it depends on who they are. Like I wasn't expecting to get so hot in the pants for Aaron Paul, but Oh my gosh, he is so beautiful. And you watch the interview. I'm just giggling the whole time. Like a child, like just <laughs> so I think there's a few things probably less because he's a famous just because he was so beautiful and so kind and made such intense eye contact that I lost my mind <laughs> um uh but yeah I I think the ones I've probably been most nervous about or is like with the likes of Will Ferrell someone who I just you know has been a huge part of my life growing up and I would have loved to him for him to be like, hey, Kim, you're really funny. You should come and be in my movies. <laughs> like, if I go into it with this expectation of maybe we'll be best friends after this, then usually I don't do a great job. <laughs> so, Do you ever try and kind of subtly chuck that in there when you're speaking to one of these um, celebrities? Just be like, hey, you know. No, I've had it happen on the opposite. I, I remember interviewing Charlie Puth and like getting a text from his uh, agent or something like, is it, I'm going to, Charlie would like your number or something, you know, like something like that has happened a couple of times. Um, but no, I don't, I, I mean, I'm there to do a job, not there for my own personal gain. And you know, That's good. It's better to be professional. And then off the cuff sometimes, yeah, things can happen, but no, that's not, I'm not there to go and have some famous passions or whatever. That's not what I'm doing. Although what, a great side effect of it did happen, but no, not, not my number one priority. Did you, when you spoke to Taika Waititi, yeah. how was that? Oh, what a cool guy. I'm just like, I'm so, again, such a fan of, of his that I was actually really nervous about it. Um, yeah, he's just great. And everything he touches is awesome. And I, I will say, like, it has been really cool being a Kiwi in LA and, and seeing this kind of surgence that came from Flight of the Concords and has continued with the likes of Reese Darby and now Taika. Like, people understanding that New Zealand is a country that is in Australia or liking our New Zealand accent. And, yeah, just kind of seeing that change happen or that shift like for me I mostly audition as an American as in with an American accent but it's been really cool over the past couple of years there have been a few jobs that have said oh actually try it in your Kiwi accent and you know they they like that now which was used to be like never let anyone hear your New Zealand accent (laughs) yeah I think that was the case I mean sometimes I've even heard my own accent when I first started this podcast and I thought ooh, you know you have a beautiful voice. That's not fair, uh, but I don't really understand what you're saying. When you hear yourself back, I'm like, oh God, what a punishing sound people <laughs> Well, didn't the New Zealand accent got named the sexiest accent in the world at one point? I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I believe that. Eh? I, 
I reckon it would be up there with like comedically genius accents because we don't care about anything in the way we speak. Uh, but sexiest, sure. We'll take it. Why yeah, not? why not? Why not? Yeah, we'll own it. Go, yep, that's that's us. <laughs> I've heard your Reese Darby impression and it's bloody brilliant. Oh my, I'm not going to do it for you. I can't no, even no. think do it right now. He's, gosh, what a, what a wonderful man. He's a very funny, curious person, that man. Yeah, he is. Have you spoken to him? No, I do want to speak to him, though. I mean, there's a million people I want to speak to. It's all about, you know, just... Oh, about time, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. Um, I want to ask you about your trip to India, because I've oh. been there. Uh, oh, wow. What did you go for? Oh, well, my partner's Indian. Um, okay. So I spent a bit of time there. Obviously, it would have been in different circumstances to yourself. Mm-hmm. But I know from my experience there, there was definitely a before and after with me mm-hmm. in, in terms of how it impacted my life. And I've seen mm-hmm. some of the video footage and obviously you sponsor a child. Um, but are you able to just tell me what your, how it all went basically? Yeah. How it yeah. impacted you? Sure. So I, there, there have been two instances in my life where I have a very clear line of before and after. The first one was when I went uh, in 2016 with World Vision to the refugee camps on the border of Syria and Jordan. And that was like a, a big grow up moment for me. Um, and just to zoom in on it really quickly, I think it was just really having such a lack of understanding and knowledge of what is going on in Syria and then seeing these people in refugee camps that will more than likely never leave refugee camps. And then, yeah, just seeing like families who had been split up, mothers who would tell stories about having to drug their children so that they would be quiet and carry them over the border and things, because if they made a noise, they could be found or people having to leave some children behind or their elderly parents and these women telling these stories and, just I had just never experienced anything like that or seen anything like that and seen basically a city in the middle of the desert that had been set up kind of overnight for to house these people. Mm. So that was a definite before and after in terms of just an awakening and understanding of, of my privilege and my position in the world and just my life experience. And then India for me was another before and after, again, to do with, privilege and and just the the a good mirror on my life of understanding of what I'm going through in a day and to understand that simultaneously on the other side of the world you know there's such severe gender inequality there from from what I experienced with my sponsor chart I mean I was there to talk to young women who were fortunate enough to get educated and how that had a ripple effect in their community from you know trying to stand up against child marriage So I think India for me, it was also one of the first times in my life that I felt unsafe, um, which I think is a real luxury in New Zealand. Like, yes, of course there is crime here, but not to that capacity that that is the most forefront thing. Um, And just, I was a little bit unaware of the place where I was, you know, there was no police presence. There was a lot of people who were armed, which I also wasn't expecting. That wasn't the India that I thought I was going to. I was definitely thinking I was going to perhaps a more eat, pray, love situation or, um, and I did, I did do part of that. I went to Bombay and had a wonderful magical time there and everyone was so lovely. But yeah, this was kind of a good grow up moment again for me of actually feeling a little bit 
unsafe and a little bit aware that I looked very different. I had a camera guy, you know, I was in a situation where, yeah, it just for something in me felt a little bit unsafe for the first time in my life. And that was a great experience to have because so many people go through life feeling really unsafe. And I, I'm very fortunate that I hadn't. So it was good for me to experience that, have a little bit more empathy and understanding of, of what it might be like to, to grow up as a young woman in these environments or not having a voice. I mean, some of the girls I interviewed had never been asked how they are before. And I asked two sisters to compliment mm-hmm. each other and they had never said in, like never verbalized how they felt about each other um, because no one asks. And yeah, it was just seeing things like that, that like you say, like you can't go back to your life <laughs> after you've seen and experienced this. And, and again, none of these girls were asking for pity or anything. They were energized. They were strong young women. And there was so much joy present in both situations, both in Syria and the refugee camps and in India. And it was almost the most painful thing for me to see besides the poverty was almost the joy because I think it was yeah. a direct reflection of like how we operate and we're all busy. And like there is a real lack of just abundant joy at times because we feel so consumed or weighed down by things that are so trivial. And it was really interesting that seeing joy was a real trigger of pain for me, Um, which maybe sounds, I don't know, ridiculous, but that was what was kind of heartbreaking because it seemed so simple and so honest. Um, and that kind of, yeah, pulled my existence into question quite a bit and the things I care about and why and what I worry about, what I fixate on and just learning that none of it really matters <laughs> and how and how lucky we are. It's so, you know, probably like you, I'm sure you saw some things that kind of, they do change you in a, in a great and wonderful way, but it's also then your responsibility to have those experiences and and try to change yourself or your family or just have a, have a different, more globalistic perspective on things. So, um, and share. Yeah. Sorry, that was pretty much the same. There was a pretty much, the, <laughs> there was pretty much the same experience I had, uh, in terms of seeing these people in poverty, but they're so joyful. Mm. And it's also, I, I think it's kind of like, you don't know what you don't know. So if that's all they know, then they've got nothing yeah. to compare it to. So therefore, I think yeah. sometimes we get caught in because we're, we're making so many different comparisons to other people or other environments and other cities. So mm. yeah, it was it was an enlightening experience for me. And I'm like, man, I, I really need to appreciate New Zealand more and my family more yeah. and just everything mm. that we just take for granted here, like clean air. Yeah. Yeah. Clean air. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. yeah clean water yeah just turning on your tap and water coming yeah. out you know that you can actually drink yes yeah yeah how's yeah. that how's Thanks. that in la because i've heard that the air is not that clean there either <laughs> no the air in la is horrible i will say though during quarantine or during lockdown sorry uh when they initially did a lockdown now it's just a free-for-all chaos but um the air was significantly cleaner because there was mm. no cars driving around and it was a stark difference in about three days. It was like all of this kind of, um, what are they? It's not a marine layer, but kind of this air dust, like smog, yeah, I guess is that what it's yeah. called. Yeah. Like it just cleared and it was beautiful. And there were birds singing and everyone was like, Oh, this is <laughs> 
tell me what staying home for a week does to the planet. The planet's probably like, thank you, COVID. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. And you said to them, well, welcome to New Zealand because this is what this, this country should look like. I yeah. know. Lucky. My goodness. How did you get your uh, role on the project? Did you lobby for that or did someone come to you and be like, hey, you need to do this? Um, that's so sweet. No, I... Um, before the project launched, I had had a conversation with John Bridges because I had done a few of those junket type things before for, um, I did them for the Aaron Simpson show way back, which was a TV two show. Um, and a few other things for TVNZ on demand. So I had, I was familiar with the format. Um, and so John Bridges said, if you were, you know, in LA, would you be open to doing that? And I was like, hell yes. I mean, it's such a, what a sweet gig, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it is. I get to see movies before everybody else and then talk to the cast about how great it was. It's awesome. So I'm, I'm forever grateful. And, and off the back of that, I've been welcome to join the project desk when I'm in town as well and sit on that, um, which is kind of a dream come true because I always wanted to read the news. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a, a way to kind of do that, I guess, um, and take that dream off. I don't know if I'll ever be a news reader, but you know, one can dream. The next John Campbell, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> what an amazing man he is! I got to speak to him to the other day. Man, he's so cool, and he swears like a racehorse. Have you spoken to him? No, no, not yet. I am. I he is one of the guys I do want to speak on the to list. Yeah. Well, he's amazing, and he swears like a racehorse, and you—it's crazy because. I don't know how then he switches that off on TV or maybe he gets it all out of his system, but it was so cool. Yeah. He's, oh gosh, I love him. He's yeah. Great. Cause I, I suppose they have to be so much more filtered on those shows. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, you seem quite. I'm pretty open to be yeah. honest. Yeah. I try not to swear too much. Um, my mother still tells me off if I swear, but <laughs> Yeah, it's good. you know. need those people to kind of keep really confident. Then I start swearing a bit because I think I'm being cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of the stuff I love that you've done is the stuff with Jono and BNA. Oh yeah, yeah. Because so yeah, you guys seem like you have a you have a you have a good friendship with those guys. I do. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've been working with them for a really long time. Thanks to um, Bronwyn Baker. So she is the mastermind behind Jono and Ben and Funny Girls and a few other shows I worked on. And she's part of the reason I actually moved to the States. She hired me when she was working for Nickelodeon to cover a job over in America in 2010. And that was kind of like laid, oh, I guess like planted the seed in my head that, oh, I could go to the States. And so Bronwyn's been awesome. Pretty much most things that she touches, I, I get to work on with her and, and John and Ben was one of them. And I think she's been really pivotal in my life of also me finding my funny and finding my place. And cause I guess after Shilton street, you're kind of trained to do things a certain way. And yeah, I full credit to her in my life because she's definitely been a big player and helping me kind of like navigate my career and into more what I want it to be, which is kind of more me, which is a bit quirky, a bit unpolished, a bit, you know, making silly skits with John and Ben or funny girls. And so, yeah, she's awesome. Cause was, did you always want to be an actress? Like, was that the goal? Did you like always start by being like, okay, I want to be in Shorten street. Was that? Like, oh no, like not at all. I, I always wanted to be in the circus. <laughs> Um, legit, like wanted to go to Montreal and change and be in Cirque du Soleil, uh, or a vet was my other option, but I don't like seeing animals in pain 
much like I do, but I do, like I want to help them. But I, I did a few holidays at working at the veterinarian clinic and couldn't handle it. And I, I knew I just wanted to perform, whether that be kind of dancing or acting. And uh, Shortland Street was one of my first, or I used to act in the weekends at a um, school called AYA, which is still running, aspiring young actors. And then because my mother was paying a small fortune for me to go to a private school, I wasn't supposed to audition until I finished school, but then had a, a cheerleading accident. And so I was able to go and audition and Shortland Street was my first aud- professional audition that I went on and then ended up booking that. So um, oh, wow. it kind of happened. It was obviously what I wanted. I just, it felt like a pipe dream back then. Like it didn't feel like it would be possible. Um, especially not to make a, a living doing it. And you have to remember like this was back in 2005, like while Facebook was kind of a thing, it wasn't like you had all these actors with big personalities and, you know, who were available or accessible to you. So it did feel like it wasn't super possible. Now I think it feels a little bit more achievable because people have an online persona and you can get to know the actor and like find their journey and stuff where that information wasn't available to me at that time. Yeah. I want to tell you a story because I think you might appreciate it. But so in school, uh, one of the subjects I was actually relatively good at was drama. Mm -hmm. And I, and my drama teacher tried to get me, well, she did get me an audition for Shorten Street because she's, yeah, because she was connected to the casting agent, but Uh I never went. And I often think to myself, I'm like, what if I'd gone? Could I be? Oh, cause I was bullied a lot and I was like really depressed about it. And like, I read the role of the guy, the teenager I was playing. And I was thinking this guy looks like a douche. I'll probably get bullied more if I go. So I never went, but like, I often wonder, I'm like, man, what if I'd gone? Like, could I be another Kimberly Crossman? Oh, bless <laughs> your heart. <laughs> or I mean, who knows? I could have gone. They could have been, they could have been like, nah, you suck. So don't worry. But well, well I will tell you this. No audition people say you suck. So or they say yeah. it behind the scenes, just like no, no, no. no, that's fine. You don't, you don't hear that. You can leave and be like, as long as you did a good <laughs> job. That's right. Do you still audition now or no? No, well, I haven't done any of that stuff now. I haven't done acting in, in yeah, like a decade or something. And more media, music, and all that sort of stuff. Who knows? Who knows? Could happen one day, maybe. Well, yeah, you can go do it now. Never too late to act, especially if you're a guy. My goodness, you could be like a when you get a silver fox and still work when you're a guy, that's great. Really? What do you mean? Of course. Well, I feel like there's always roles for men. Women, there's like, well, I think it's changing and it's getting better, but they're kind of like, once you're like 35, there's like not many roles until you like look like really kind of mummish, unless you're like the quirky sidekick kind of character. Yeah. Yeah. Do you kind of get typecast? Is there specific roles, you know, people want you to play? Uh, not really. No, well, that's I don't good. Think so. I mean, I kind of go out for anything. I, I tend to book jobs where I'm playing like, <laughs> like psycho. I do like quite crazy, quite well. Um, I think a lot yeah, of people like playing or, psychos. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or roles where like I maybe look cute kind of girl next door, but then have like the mouth of a sailor or something or whatever. That's kind of tends to be more what I get cast as, I guess. There's one, uh, I remember seeing you in NCIS and I wasn't <laughs> expecting you to be in it. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> I, was like, yeah. uh, I was like, oh, because you're opposite um, LL Cool J. Cool J, who always licks his lip. Oh, licks his lips, LL Cool J. Yeah, yeah, that was really fun. I had a really good time on that. That was cool. He's a big guy, eh? 
Like he's actually not as big as I thought. Neither is the rock. Like they are obviously massive. Yeah. But still not as big as like my mind had created. Does that make so, sense? Yeah. So, but how big were you thinking they were? Like who, like in terms of how broad, like who were you comparing them to? In terms of, I don't know. I think just like the way that The Rock looks on screen and LL Cool J, it feels like they take up a lot more space. But I mm. think it's, they. I mean, they don't get me wrong. They're very muscly, very large men. But I think like if you see a basketball player or like an or like a rugby player, they're bigger in size of room that they take up. These guys are just like really buff and shredded and always wearing tight tops, always wearing tight tops. Well, that's because it makes you look bigger. Even I'm guilty well, of that. Well, I guess that's it, though. There you go. And, yes, they're still very large men, but just not as not the biggest that I've seen. There you go. But, but I've heard the camera makes you look bigger. Is that, Probably. Is, is that true? Like, have you ever seen yourself on camera and be like, I don't look like that? Um, oh, yeah, but I, don't, I try not to, like, judge my appearance too much. But, yes, for sure. I've gone, okay. More often than not, I'm like, could you try standing up straight, you bloody hunchback? Like, that's more my, <laughs> that's more my uh, narrative of myself. I'm like, what was I doing? Like, in the back of the shot, like, <laughs> I'm always leaning or hanging on to something <laughs> as if standing is exhausting. Yes. Have you ever had, like, a role or a part that you just couldn't get right? Like, you constantly kept stuffing up? Because I would think if you stuff up a scene then you become self-conscious that you're stuffing up the scene, which makes you stuff up the scene more. Uh, I've done that a couple of times, but I wouldn't say it was like a role or a character that I couldn't get. Um, just because I am really hard out. And if I wasn't getting something, I would work till I got it. I wouldn't, I would never phone something in. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've definitely like not quite understood direction a few times from a director or it isn't being presented to me in a way that I understand um, and that can happen all the time. I mean, you've got different personalities trying to, and sometimes the director has something so clear in their head that they can't quite articulate what it, what it is or I couldn't receive exactly what it was that they wanted. So that definitely, I mean, that's part of acting and directing. Um, but yeah, I don't, I can't think of any example where I just kept mucking it up too much. That's good though. Cause I have asked some other actors that and they're like, yeah, that happens a lot. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh. Oh, maybe I'm just not self-aware. Maybe I'm unaware of it and I think I'm nailing it. <laughs> no, I'm not getting it. <laughs> well, sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? Sometimes you don't need to know. That is true. Depends on what it is, though. If, if I knew that I was doing something wrong, I would fixate on it for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so is there any directors or anything in particular you haven't done that you want to do? Because you seem oh, like you've done God. everything. Like I oh, just because um, <laughs> we're a similar, we're a similar age, and yeah. like you've achieved way more than me. And I'm like, man, I need oh, to up my game. Oh, that's not fair. Don't do that. Don't do. Don't compare yourself. That's never <laughs> healthy. Um, well, I might seem that way. I, I feel like I don't work enough. I would love to be working more and with amazing people. I'd obviously love to work with Taika. Um, I would. I would love to do kind of a really big budget movie just to like try it and see what it's like. I think that my heart is always rests on kind of like smaller budget stuff because there's less of a hierarchy and less of 
like any of the really big budget things that I've worked on, whilst it's nice to be part of something massive, it's just, it's such a watered down creative process. And I think what I love, the show I've loved most that I've ever worked on is Golden Boy, which is a show on three. Yeah. And it is, it is a low, low budget show for, for what we were asked to achieve, but it was such an experience where there was no real hierarchy. And obviously there is on paper a hierarchy and there's a director and executive producer and stuff. But in terms of the talent and everyone who was working on it, everyone's goal was just to make something really great. And there was no ego and everyone, you know, the funniest line wins. Everyone is open to throw a suggestion. And I think for me, like when you create that kind of environment, you get such a great product at the end of it because it's a real team sport. Whereas like sometimes on those big budget shows or movies that I have worked on, it's, it's so based around a few individuals and their process and everyone catering to a certain style of work for one person or two people that it like sucks a bit of the joy out of it because that shouldn't be the priority if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get one of those jobs and become a huge diva. Feel free to repeat this <laughs> segment to me. <laughs> um, hey Kim, um, remember that time? <laughs> remember when you said you were so humbled and there was no hierarchy? Um, but yeah, I think I think inherently being a, you know a Kiwi, that's sort of the way that we prefer to work as well, and, and that it is a, t- a team sport. Um, yeah, so I don't even remember what you asked me now, and I probably didn't answer it. That's all right. But you're, you're pretty much echoing uh, what Joel Tobek said when I talked to him. Uh, he said it was more because of the union system as well, right? So sure, people, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because if, say, you, uh, Joel was to go help a hairdresser lift like her bags or something, if he drops it, then she's not covered for insurance or something, whereas that's not the case here. So it, yeah. it, it Oh, it's definitely like, but they also love that kind of hierarchy. They love a, a working order and uh, love working towards moving up a ladder. Whereas I think we like that, but we value, dif- we value the experience a little bit more probably. Um, yeah. And we're so used to like being so understaffed doing any job like you, there's probably just you and you're doing all of this yourself. You know, we're kind of used to moving quickly, moving fast, grab everything, everyone help, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's true. That is true. Now, you say, you say you like to do the whole, the more intimate low budget stuff. But there are, mm-hmm. I know, like Taika Waititi. Saying that, if anyone with a really large budget show or movie is listening, I will also do your <laughs> Of course, of course. But what I, what I was going to say is there are big directors that kind of have that atmosphere on set anyway that kind of still sure. feel that way. Like Taika Waititi is obviously one of them, I've heard. Sure. Totally, I, yeah. yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. So it would be like a killing two birds with one stone sort of thing. If you were managed to get a role with him and say like star Wars or Marvel or something, and you had the internet. I'm available. I'm ready. Yeah. Just torn. You must have his number or something. Just be like, Hey, Hey. Got his number, but I would never ask for a job. He's, he's a good mate. We're going to get beer. So that's okay. Oh, Um, nice. Nice. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. You got to be friends first. You can't always be looking for something that you want out of someone. And plus I would rather audition and earn a job rather, you know, I'd rather earn it off my own right if that makes sense. Yeah. Have you ever been offered a role without auditioning and you still choose to audition? Uh, no, but I, I have been offered roles. Um, and I, I guess I would choose to audition if I didn't feel like I was right for the role, if that makes sense. But usually mm-hmm. if I'm offered it, it's usually 
based on something else that I've done that is in a similar realm, if that makes sense. So I feel like I have kind of earned it if I've already proven that I can do that job or that character type before, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Because you do comedy as well, are you given a lot of room to maybe improvise or ad lib or chuck in something funny when you're, when you're well, doing a show? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like given room. I, I kind of like do things without permission in that realm. And then if it doesn't land, like it, yeah, I would rather not be told. <laughs> yeah. I would rather kind of give it a nudge or try and make something. I mean, any audition, I try and um, put a bit of myself into it and I, whilst I know all of the lines and I do make it word perfect, sometimes I'll choose to say something with a different inflection or chemify it a little bit or yeah, add in a funny line at the end, not to disrespect the writers, just to kind of make it different. Um, because most people, especially in the States, I've seen three or 400 people who look exactly like me read the same scene. So they're over it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's so competitive there, isn't it? Yeah. So it's good to kind of bring your own, so the motto is ask for forgiveness and not for permission. Well, not even for permission. <laughs> just have the balls, I guess, to, to have fun with something and give it a go. Like, uh, I think that uh, that has been really kind of life-changing advice. And, and yeah, like if like back myself and back my ability that I've worked enough to know that like, Oh, I can, I can bring something to this role rather than just doing exactly what you've told me to. And if you do hire me, you may ask me to do exactly what was written on the page, but there's no way they're going to get to know my personality. If I'm being a solemn character and I yawn on line three, cause it says in the script, she yawns, like everyone's yawning there. Yawn a line earlier, yawn a line later, like, or don't yawn at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> Does you know what I mean? Like kind of use it as a guide rather than as a Bible. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, did you ever did you ever audition for Lord of the Rings? It seems like everybody auditioned for Lord of the Rings. No, I haven't. I would love to. Again, if you're listening to this podcast. No, I would love to audition for Lord of the Rings. I mean, they're gonna be here for a while. Surely my time will come at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many how many people are there that they could possibly get? They keep getting Australians. We're good too. New Zealand. Yay. <laughs> like, how would you use a crew, but we use Australian actors. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I don't know why that is. You'd have to ask. I mean, you'd, you'd probably be more in the know than I am. No, that's right. I, I'll, I'll just be ready when they do ask. I'll be ready to go. How long did it take you to really nail the American accent? The, 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 the default one, I should say. Yeah. Because there's so many different uh, variations of it. A while. I mean, I did a lot of accent coaching before I did Power Rangers. And then living in America definitely helps. And I did, you know, many years of, of Groundlings, which is a comedy school, exclusively in an American accent. Because what I was finding tough was less about learning the accent. Because when you know what you're going to say, it's easy to practice it. But when you're improvising or having a conversation, if you haven't, nailed it that's when your kiwi accent will kind of slip in or you become kind of a hybrid so i i just put in the hours i believe very much in like the ten thousand hour theory so i just kind of put in the work and spoke american and got a heap of shit from other new zealanders for like that's the tall poppy syndrome thing coming through isn't it it was also just i i felt like i needed to do that because i didn't want to lose jobs and that was a feedback on a few auditions at times was like that i wasn't quite on my accent or i had slip-ups and stuff and so like i never want to put myself in a position where i'm losing a job because of 
something I had done. You know, I'd rather it be because I'm not quite the right fit or like I'm not the right look or, you know, a different energy than they're looking for than something I can control like accent. Yeah. Are there other accents that you can kind of do quite well? No, I would say that's probably my best one. I give a few a nudge or if they're like, hey, can you do this? I always say yes and then learn later. (laughs) That's been another good piece of advice. Like you can mountain bike. Oh yeah, of course. And then I'm like, cool, I've got 24 hours to learn how to mountain bike. Got it. Like that's more my attitude. (laughs) Well, that works with some things. It probably wouldn't work if someone was like, oh, can you play piano? Be like, yeah, sure, sure. I'll learn yeah, piano on my day. Smoke and mirrors. I can do. It's still playing piano. True, true. Mantis. I yes. started this interview by saying I'm the queen of an oversell, under deliver. I'm not scared to say yes, I can do something, and then show up and be like, oh, I didn't mean like super well. That's right. I can learn. Fake it till you make it. Let's go. So, is there anything that you haven't learned that you want to learn currently? Boundaries. <laughs> You mean in acting or in life? Just oh, general. Life. In life in general. <laughs> boundaries. Oh, yeah, I'm shocking with boundaries. Absolutely. And boundaries shocking. in terms of what, what do you mean? Like Anything. personal like, boundaries? Um, yeah, I would say more around like time. Um, saying no to things. Like I am a real people pleaser to a point that I will like make myself ill. Um, <laughs> just because I won't. Yeah, I'm not good with my own boundaries of time, the food I eat. I eat shocking food. Um, really? I oh wouldn't God, think yeah. that. I've had... I, I would get the impression that like you, you're really hardcore into fitness. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to open my Uber Eats to like, give you proof of what's happened in the last 24 hours. Okay. Let me see. Okay, so in the last three days, I've had Thai food twice, Hell's Pizza once, and then we also got pizza up the road, and that's only in three days. Oh, my God. Um, But I eat, like, really shocking. So how do you stay, like, so slim? Because I have a high metabolism and probably a thyroid issue, and I'm anxious as all hell. But that's it. It's like, that's something that I'm trying to learn is like boundaries on myself of going like I need to, if I'm good with a schedule, I need to schedule some time to eat and make something and stuff like that. But I'm always doing, I always feel like I'm on the back foot or my day pivots so many times for like, even today, like I'm, you know, supposed to have this for two hours and now it's one hour because I have to go and do work and ADR. So I'm just running with an ever changing schedule and I, I'm not good at managing those small incremental moments, whether it's like 10 minutes or 20 minutes to eat something. Whereas I'm more likely to like pick up my phone and Instagram and then be like, Oh shit, I'll get petrol and get an up and go. And then does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Oh wow. Okay. Well, I totally had it wrong. Oh, I know. I love that narrative you had. Let's forget I said anything and you leave being like, fuck, she's fit as, she's a health nut. I enjoy, I enjoy food and I enjoy eating. And it's definitely, I feel like it's a very serious, like I love going out and eating good food. And that's probably where I spend a lot of my disposable income, which is, uh, goes from being non-existent to sometimes I have disposable income. And it's always food that, and eating out at places that I spend that money on. Cause I, I love, having long chats and someone bringing me delicious food. I just don't take care of myself well enough that I would do that for myself. You might need so. to hire a cook or just get a boyfriend that can cook for you all the time. 
<laughs> yeah, that would be great. That What a luxury. But yeah, I'm usually pretty reactionary when it comes to that kind of self-care. So when I talk about boundaries and something I'm working on, that's got to be it and like scheduling enough time for myself to sleep. But I have such this like, yeah, ego or identity of like doing it all and being busy all the time that I, I just need to find a better balance in that. So. Yeah. Do you get like fans or people coming up to you that kind of invade your boundaries though? No, everyone's pretty sweet, eh? Like, okay, that's I'm, good. That's uh, good. Oh, when, I was, when I was younger and on Shilton Street, I experienced a lot of bullying, but that's because I was 16 and on a telly show and in the bars in Auckland where I shouldn't have been. Don't let me in. You know that I'm underage. But, like, <laughs> that was, like, difficult because I hadn't dealt with any fame before. And so I, you know, as a people pleaser, I want everyone to like me. And because I was sometimes a little bit of a hussy on the show or a bit of a brat, and New Zealanders sometimes have a or have had in the past difficulty separating character from the person. Um, and so that was really rough. Like I definitely experienced a lot of bullying and people being really rude in that chapter of my life. But now everyone's pretty sweet. Yeah. I think it's the same for politicians as well. People can't se- oh, separate yeah. the politics from the character of the person. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Cause I've found if I talk to a politician, I'm like, Oh, okay. They're actually really nice. Well, sometimes they can be. Sometimes they go into political mode as soon as the camera goes on. And it's it's funny to watch. It's like, whoa, okay. Well, yeah, it's such a divisive job that they're doing. So I'm sure I'm sure John Key doesn't go for a coffee and not experience someone saying like like a flag referendum or something. You know, like I'm sure people (laughs) like I feel like they have permission. I'm gonna yell how I feel at this man or whomever it might be. Yeah, of course. Do people ask like well probably in the States as well, like ask for your views politically and then you give them your view and then they kind of shaft you. Cause you know how there's some people that are like that. They just. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty open with where I stand. I mean, I voted green and labor. I feel like that aligns with my character. So I feel like in terms of New Zealand politics, I don't feel like that has been very divisive with a fan base. Um, obviously I supported Biden. I was really vocal about that too. Um, I think it's mainly on Facebook if I post something with political. I, I was really surprised, actually, and really disappointed in some New Zealanders, too, when I when I posted um, quite religiously around Black Lives Matter and that movement when it kind of first came to a head in, in June um, after George Floyd. I was really shocked at the amount of people coming at me about it. Um, that was shocking, I guess. But again, I'm not going to water down my own beliefs and my stand stance on things to to cater to everybody. Um, you know, I, and I, I do feel like my my goal, and even with the things that I do with World Vision, some people do have an attitude about it or, or feel that um, I should be supporting New Zealand children more and we have New Zealand poverty in New Zealand. And I guess my answer to that is I do. We also sponsor a child in New Zealand. But on top of that, like, I think some people feel like you can only care about one issue, but we're multifaceted humans who can actually care about an array of issues. I can, it can hurt my heart and me want to help gender inequality in India as as well as poverty in New Zealand. I can do both of those things. That's I'm capable of helping both those causes. But I think, and when Black Lives Matter came out, a lot of people had a real issue that I was um, obviously supporting what, they were standing for and i thought that was really strange so i hadn't experienced that within my fan base or my audience before yeah well because you're mostly on instagram more so than anything else right and i 
Yeah. Yeah, because I find most of the negativity is on Facebook and Twitter. Those kind of the cesspool. But then you have to remember, if you've watched any of these documentaries, like that's what it's trying to do. It's encouraging rage. Social dilemma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like they want to make you angry. That's the whole point of it. So that's right. I actually tried something a little bit different this year, and if I do get some negative feedback, you know, I'm I'm happy to engage in a dialogue. Like I try and try and always be empathetic and see it from the other side of things. And occasionally it has opened up a good conversation. If people are willing to have a conversation with me where we can share points of view, then that's cool. But quite often people just want to say, fuck you and have a stab and call you a cunt and fuck (laughs) off. Like, so, you know, at that point I'm like, it's not worth my time. But if you genuinely wanted to come at me or educate me about something that I have been ignorant about, then full permission as always to do that. And I try to encourage that. And I always leave those posts up so that people can see that I'm willing to engage if you do have a differing opinion. I mean, how boring if we lived in a world where we all agreed with the same thing, but yeah, it's, it's kind of good to go toe to toe sometimes. And sometimes you learn something and yeah, that's helpful. Mm. Well, hey, I know you got to go, so I will wrap up. No, it hasn't been an hour already. It's too fast. I didn't even Uh, ask you anything yet. It's all right. It's all right. It's it's more about you than me. No, it isn't. Quickly tell me, what is is the thing that you learned most about yourself during COVID? Wow, the thing I learned most. About yourself. uh, About myself is that uh, I'm definitely more an extrovert than an introvert. That is the first thing. And uh, didn't know that? Well, I kind of did, but I realized how much I need people. Like I need to talk to people Um, and being confined to one place. Like, yeah. So the solitude, it's just, yeah. Like being in this box for like eight hours a day can get like really um, disheartening because there's no uh, windows or anything. Right. So you're definitely lacking some vitamin D. So you definitely need to get out Um, and just like how much I value freedom more. It's probably the main thing. And that, uh, you should always be upskilling. That's the thing. Like I took time during COVID to, I got into a little bit of um, coding and like video game design and stuff. I started teaching oh, myself. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. that was like a cool little thing that I learned, but um, yeah, that's probably the main things. Probably the main okay. things. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I like yeah. that. What about well, you? Thank you so much. What did I learn this year? Oh God, a plethora, plethora of things, but um, <laughs> um. I think something that I'm learning about myself is um, allowing myself to be a little bit more messy in my thoughts and how I present myself. I've just, that's okay. But people actually like vulnerability or like leaning in. They do, they do. They do appreciate it. My inside thoughts can be outside thoughts. (laughs) I think I spent most of my life being like, these are inside thoughts. These are your own crazy mania. But it's, yeah. So that's probably the biggest thing I've learned this year. Cool. Well, thank you so much for this. So all your social media, it's uh, what? Kimberly Crossman, Instagram, yeah, Facebook. Crossman, I think. And then Kim Crossman 24 on Facebook because someone already had it. Oh, frustrating. Because <laughs> <laughs> you always want to be the first, right? I know. But then there's too many things. So it's fine. Uh, but yeah, I mainly use, use the gram. Yeah. And you also, if you're listening to this and I'm on the gram too often, have permission to tell me, get off your phone, Kim, and go and cook something nutritious. <laughs> yeah. No, no more Uber Eats. 
No more Uber Eats. Someone needs to ban me. Remove my phone from me. I've never oh. used Uber Eats. Yeah. It's a slippery slope, mate. It is a slippery, bloody slope. Because you go, fuck, I could have that? Shit, yes. And then that's delicious. Yeah. Cool. Well, yes. that's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. Obviously support Kimberly in any way, shape, or form. She is amazing. Uh, so You're that's the show. Too. I love you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Stay safe, everyone. Bye.